Hey, my name is J.D. Larson, one of the pastors at North City Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. I hope this inspires and equips you to love God more deeply and to love your neighbor as yourself. At North City, our mission is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, and we hope this message emboldens you to do just that in whatever space God has sent you to. Be sure to subscribe and keep in touch with the conversations North City is having. And if you want to find out more about our community, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram or online at NorthCityChurchMPLS.com. Enjoy the message. In the season of Advent, and Advent simply means anticipation or waiting. Uh, It means the coming of something, and we go through the process of Advent as we're anticipating the coming of Christmas, but not just because we're excited for the gifts that we ask for. We do so as a way of rehearsing how um, the people of Israel anticipated God moving in a big way and sending the Messiah and how Jesus fulfilled all of what they hoped for and more. And that's really the essence of the Christmas story, that Jesus' birth was the beginning of that victory. And through his life, death, and resurrection, we can uh, enter into that victory and freedom as well. That's what we're celebrating in Christmas. But this year is a little unique for a number of different reasons. First and foremost, we've been journeying through the New Testament and now we're in Revelation, which is a book that typically just gets uh, thrown aside as only talking about end times stuff. Um, But uh, a better understanding of it is that it's a book focused on giving hope to people who are waiting. even in the midst of their suffering. By talking, yes, ultimately about what it will be like, ultimately that we hope that one day Jesus will come back in a second coming and complete all uh, that the cross and resurrection won and started, and he will make all things new, as it says in Revelation 21. We hope for that. And Christians throughout time have always been a people who are waiting for God to fully come. And we're in this now but not yet reality where the victory of the cross, all that Christmas started and Jesus accomplished on the cross are true and inform our lives today, but we're waiting for God to ultimately come and complete that work by renewing uh, the whole world, a term called new creation we find in the New Testament. So we're a waiting people. We're an Advent people. So it's really fitting that we're talking about this. And we're talking about what it means to be Advent people is to uh, live in hope. To be Christian is to be living in the hope uh, that God will ultimately make all the wrong things right in our world. So we're going to continue our series today, Living in Hope, uh, an Advent series, by looking at a text in chapter 3 of Revelation. Now, Revelation is a tricky book, uh, rife with a lot of misunderstanding or a lot of different ways that people throughout time have interpreted the text. I highly encourage you, if you haven't or didn't get the chance to last week, to go listen back to Professor John Dunn's sermon on Revelation. I thought it was a great start for us to understand and maybe wrap our heads around a little bit and demystify some of the misunderstandings around Revelation. Before we jump into the text today, I want to take another go at sort of an introduction of Revelation because I think it sets up our discussions in microchurches really well or your reflection there at home. And this is from the Bible Project, which I think is a tremendous resource for you as you're a reader of scripture or a curious learner. They just put out really simple, very articulate, uh, clear and scripturally sound uh, videos about uh, different books of the Bible. So we're gonna play about three and a half minutes of this to cue up 
our scripture for the day. So you can come into what we're about to hear with a little more context about the whole book and about the situation that Jesus is speaking into through the book as well. So let's take a listen and a look. The book of the Revelation of Jesus. The author of this book, which is not called Revelations, by the way, is named at the beginning. It was written by John, which could refer to the beloved disciple who wrote the gospel and the letters of John, or it could be a different John, a messianic Jewish prophet who traveled about and taught in the early church. Whichever John it was, he makes clear in the opening paragraph what kind of book he has written. He calls it, first of all, a revelation or apocalypse. The Greek word is apokalupsis, and it refers to a type of literature very familiar to John's readers from the Hebrew scriptures and from other popular Jewish texts. Apocalypse has recounted a prophet's symbolic dreams and visions that revealed God's heavenly perspective on history and current events so that the present could be viewed in light of history's final outcome. And John says this apocalypse is a prophecy, which means it's a word from God spoken through a prophet to God's people, usually to warn or comfort them in a time of crisis. By calling this book a prophecy, John's saying that it stands in the tradition of the biblical prophets and is bringing their message to a climax. And this apocalyptic prophecy was sent to real people that John knew. The book opens and closes as a circular letter that was sent to seven churches in the ancient Roman province of Asia. Now, seven is a meaningful number for John. It's a symbol of completeness based on the seven-day Sabbath cycle in the Old Testament. And John has woven sevens into every single part of this book. Now, with this opening, John has given us clear guidance about how he wants us to understand this book. Jewish apocalypse is communicated through symbolic imagery and numbers. It is not a secret predictive code about the timing of the end of the world. Rather, John is constantly using these symbols that are drawn from the Old Testament, and he expects his readers to go discover what the symbols mean by looking up the text he's alluding to. Also, the fact that it's a letter means that John is actually addressing the situation of these first century churches. And so while this book has much to say to Christians of later generations, the book's meaning must first be anchored in the historical context of John's time, place, and audience. Which brings us into the book's first section, Jesus' message to the seven churches. John was exiled on the island of Patmos, and he saw a vision of the risen Jesus exalted as king of the world. And he was standing among seven burning lights. And John's told this is a symbol of the seven churches in Asia Minor that's been adapted from the book of the prophet Zechariah. And Jesus starts addressing the specific problems that face each church. Some were apathetic due to wealth and affluence. Others were morally compromised. Their people were still eating ritual meals and sleeping around in pagan temples. But others among the churches remained faithful to Jesus, and they were suffering harassment and even violent persecution. And Jesus warns that things are going to get worse. A tribulation is upon the churches that will force them to choose between compromise or faithfulness. By John's day, the murder of Christians by the Roman Emperor Nero was passed, and the persecution of Christians by Emperor Domitian was likely underway. And so the temptation was to deny Jesus, either to avoid persecution or simply to join the spirit of the Roman age. And Jesus calls them to faithfulness so that they can overcome or literally conquer. And Jesus promises a reward for everyone in these churches who does conquer. 
Each reward is drawn directly from the book's final vision about the marriage of heaven and earth. And so this opening section, it sets up the main plot tension that will drive the storyline in this book. Will Jesus' people endure? Will they inherit the new world that God has in store? And why is faithfulness to Jesus described as conquering? The rest of the book is John's answer. Well, again, I'd encourage you to watch that whole video. That's just part one of a two-part series. Take you about 20 minutes to watch both of them, and you'll come away with a much deeper overview and understanding of what's going on in the book of Revelation. But isn't that so helpful to get a little bit more clarity on both what the book of Revelation is trying to do and specifically uh, what this section that we're about to read in chapter 3 is about to do. So what we're going to do, you heard him mention those seven letters to the seven churches. We're going to just choose one of those letters as our text today uh, to try to see if Jesus might have something to say to us today. And in order to do so, uh, that uh, historical context was helpful. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the text, and then afterwards I'm just going to share a few thoughts that might give us some more insight in our own reflection. And I'm just going to share a little bit about what I sense the Holy Spirit might be saying to our community more broadly. And maybe there's something in that for you as well. So let's go ahead and read it. This is uh, verse or chapter 3, verse 14 through 22 is what we're going to read. And this is the last of the seven letters written to the church of Laodicea. Now, it's important for you to understand Laodicea is an actual place uh, where there is a network of micro churches, network of house churches, um, and they would have received this revelation from John and passed it around and read it and saw themselves in the text and been so excited. And you need to understand that some of the references in here that seem strange to us had really clear meaning to them that uh, hopefully I can help you unpack after we read it. Um, but as we read this text, I want you to understand that you're not just reading a historical document, but uh, this is a document that Jesus has chosen to communicate with his people uh, throughout time. So there's something, I think, for you in this letter as well, in our group of microchurches, our network here in Minneapolis. So let's read it. This, as you might see in some of your Bibles, is read because this is Jesus speaking through John uh, to uh, the church in Laodicea. He says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. I know you. I know what you've been about. That you are neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot. I wish you were either one, or either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Kind of a weird image, right? You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not uh, realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I console you. Buy from me gold refined by fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, it's important to get that, those who I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. And then Jesus gives this beautiful invitation and image. 
Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, or in other translations, is a conqueror, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on the throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what's going on here? Before you jump into some discussion or reflection, let me just share a little bit of insight on some of the things that Jesus is saying here uh, so we can better understand what this meant originally to its uh, first hearers and maybe better understand what God might be saying to us or what's sticking out to us or maybe some answers to some questions that come up. First of all, I just want to point out that in each of the letters to the churches, God, uh, Jesus follows this really loving uh, pattern. This is great examples of Jesus being the ultimate uh, carefrontation person, if you will. I imagine this as a, a friend coming to you uh, to kind of call you out on something in love. Uh, he is the best at speaking truth in love, and I love how he layers this. This is like uh, uh, HR advice almost, like start with a compliment, give them the hard stuff, and then give an invitation for growth. That seems like a good leadership motto. And Jesus is an amazing leader, so that's what he's doing with these churches. The first thing he says to all of these churches, it's actually in almost every single letter, he says, I know you. He says, I know your deeds. There's a relationship there already. It's not coming out of nowhere with this. But then there's always a yet in each of these letters. And it's not like, I like you, but... It's like, hey, I love you, and I want you to understand something that you need to work through uh, in our relationship. And what does he actually say? So he says a couple things. He gives this image of being lukewarm. And something you need to understand about Laodicea, a couple things. First and foremost, uh, this is one of the wealthiest economic epicenters of the Roman world. These people are very affluent. There is a center of trade there. There's advances in medicine happening there. They have innovated things like aqueducts, which I'll talk about in a little bit, but uh, everyone's doing pretty well in Laodicea. Because of the geographic centeredness of it, a lot of trade comes through there. And so there's a lot of wealth inherent, and we might look at this as one of the more wealthy parts of the ancient world in that time. So maybe that makes a little sense to what Jesus is calling them out on here. And the first thing he says is, I mentioned this lukewarm thing, what that, what is that about? And I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And so one of the things you need to understand about Laodicea is that in uh, Laodicea itself, it's kind of like a, well, it's kind of like a town, a desert town that had no primary source of water. So thus they had to innovate and they were the one, one of the first Roman Empire cities to innovate the aqueduct system. So they would pull mountain water from neighboring towns and aqueduct it down or, or like a, a plumbing system to get their water, which was a huge innovation but didn't come without its problems. Uh, one of which is that there were different points in the aqueduct where there would often be stagnated water. 
or they didn't know quite what to do with the water that was coming in. And so there would be points of stagnation, which would cause different bacteria, different germs to come in and uh, compromise the water, making it uh, so that it was pretty common in Laodicea in that day for people to get sick from the drinking water. So this whole image of Jesus spitting them out of his mouth, actually many translations in the Greek word itself is more about like vomiting, like getting sick from ingesting the water, would be a very vivid, vivid image because many of them, I'm sure almost all of them, if this was a thing in Laodicea, would have experienced that. And Jesus is saying, if you're not careful about where you're placing value in your life, if you're not careful about what's forming your identity, you, like the water running down from the hills, will become infected and actually not be of value to the people around you and actually be need, need to be uh, vomited out of someone's system uh, and health. Kind of a harsh rebuke, but that's where it's coming from. And what is that rebuke specifically about? He goes into that in the next verse. He says that you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. One of the things that Jesus wants to really challenge Laodicea with is that the the trappings of wealth in their life, how they form their identity around what they have and what they've accomplished in the marketplace. And many of them, very reasonably, could have been very well-off people in ancient standards. And they, as it's a temptation for all of us, is to lean on wealth, lean on money, lean on those things in our life to really bring us through. That's where we get our value, our ability to be self-sufficient. It's kind of like the American dream to reach a place of self-sufficiency because of the moves you've made financially. And Jesus is giving a stark warning against that and saying, instead, reject that. And he sets up this analogy of this marketplace, which again, uh, it's an epicenter of trade. So they would have been really familiar and they were specifically known for their trade in cloth and clothing. And so that's what Jesus is speaking to about this clothing. He's saying that uh, your reliance on your own wealth has made you blind to the fact that you're actually in desperate need that you're actually spiritually poor, that you're actually uh, writhing away inside. And that's one of the negative effects that wealth can have in our lives is that it's a great cover-up for a lot of brokenness in our lives. It's a kind of a shadow power, if you will, to hide the things that are really broken inside. And Jesus makes it really clear that he's not interested in those shadow things. He's interested in the true us. He's interested in knowing us. He's interested in our soul coming alive, us being who he created us to be. So that's what this is about. And even an interesting thing with the, he's, you're maybe like, what's the eye solve thing about? One of the things they know for is their medical innovation, as I said. And one of those medical innovations was they would grind up a mineral that they found around Laodicea, and they would sell that mineral to help with eye problems. And it would be an anti-inflammatory solve that people would put on their eyes. So Jesus is contextualizing and saying, instead of relying on that, I am the one who can help you see your life most clearly. So there's this rebuke, but then there's this beautiful invitation. And I love this image of death, of uh, Jesus standing at the door and knocking. 
And I think what this image is trying to evoke is, again, all of these micro churches, all of these early churches are meal-based gatherings. They're eating together. They call it an agape feast. They're celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And uh, many of them in the early church, and we see this elsewhere in Scripture, particularly Paul's letter to the Corinthians, being rebuked about shutting people out of their gatherings or having class come into uh, play and people sitting in different rooms or not even being welcomed to their gatherings because uh, they weren't wealthy. They didn't have influence. And Jesus is almost portraying himself as someone who's on the outside of their gathering, an outsider standing at the door and knocking, who they're not letting in because of all of their Uh, worldly trappings and he's almost saying to him if you let me in come rediscover what the Christian revolution is about rediscover that it's not about wealth it's not about relying on what we have on our own self-sufficiency our own power it's about a relationship with Jesus who made us that uh, creates equality that creates a reality where a slave and master sit down and eat with each other where people of all different races uh, sit down and eat with each other, where people who work in different uh, rungs of the economic ladder share a meal together and celebrate Jesus at the center of that meal. So the question, what is God saying to us in this? I think there's a real question, where are we drawing our sense of value and purpose? And I'd qualify that to say, Not only where are we drawing our sense of value and purpose, is it from wealth, the things we have? Where are we drawing our sense of value and purpose in this time of 2020, in this time that's really hard, where we don't have the things we normally have in our lives uh, to keep us going? I think this is a great opportunity for us to to, to, to uh, hear Jesus's voice. You know, I'm thinking about this analogy, analogy of Jesus knocking on the door and thinking about how one of the things we long for more, most at North City is to eat with each other again, to be in each other's homes. It's one of the most painful parts about uh, the reality right now is that we can't do one of the things that's most central to who we are, and that's eating with each other and celebrating communion in the unique way that we love to. But What if, in the absence of that, Jesus is trying to get our attention? What if, uh, in the the absence of eating together, Jesus is trying to root that practice primarily in his presence? What if, in this absence of being able to eat with each other, Jesus is saying, what does it mean for you to experience my presence first? And that be the primary thing. I think a danger is that we could go back whenever we're able to go back and eat with each other and share meals with our neighbors, that our gatherings just become about making ourselves comfortable, finding new friends, eating with our neighbors, laughing, enjoying relationship. And we could find ourselves with Jesus standing on the outside of our doors, knocking if we're not careful. What if in this time, a message from Jesus to our church from this ancient text is that even though we can't eat with each other right now, maybe this is an opportunity for us to refocus and root ourselves in God's relationship with us so that when we come back together again, so that when we eat together again, we can do so in the presence of God and 
and look for uh, the Holy Spirit in other people's lives and root our gatherings in Jesus's radical hospitality. Those are the things that are fl- uh, floating around in my mind as I think about this, as I think about that gentle uh, rebu- rebuke from Jesus and the invitation to come back into relationship with him. So what about you? What about these questions of what's standing out to you? What questions do you have? And what do you think the Holy Spirit's saying to you? And almost just as important, what do you think the Holy Spirit's saying to your microchurch if you're connected to one right now, or to the church in general about what it means to have allegiance with Him, what it means to persevere with Him, what it means to live in His hope today? So I want to release you now uh, to your North City communities if you're connected with one. And thank you so much for joining us today for this service. If you're watching online, please connect with us. Reach out through a direct message if you'd like or a text number, which is in the description. We'd love to get to know you and hear some of your thoughts that you had on this scripture today. Hey, this is Pastor Christian Ann of North City Church. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. We hope you feel more empowered to love your neighbors in the way of Jesus. If you have thoughts or questions, we would love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message on our website, northcitychurchmpls.com backslash sermons. Learn more about the North City community there as well. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. A special thanks goes out to Ben Noble for the music on this podcast. If you haven't heard Ben Noble's music yet, check it out at bennoblemusic.com. Let me send you into your day with this blessing. May God give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear all that God is doing in the world around you. And may he give you the courage to respond. Amen.